0: tell stories that engage, inspire, and have a lasting impact? How do we turn thoughts and ideas into effective and authentic storytelling? How can we use stories to make a difference in our work, lives, and communities? I'm your host, Camille DePutter, and together we'll explore what it means to tell stories with heart. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Storytelling with Heart podcast. I am your host, Camille DePutter, and with me today is John McClernand. John is the host of Between the Before and After, a podcast that shares inspiring real life stories of remarkable people overcoming significant adversity in their life. On his podcast, he has interviewed 100 individuals about their stories, never shying away from the gritty and vulnerable details that make us messy and human. John is also a nutrition coach who helps people achieve life-changing transformations, having undergone a pretty significant transformation himself. I first met John when interviewing him on behalf of one of my clients, and I was struck by how candid and open he was, especially about topics like anxiety and PTSD and learning self-compassion. John himself has a pretty remarkable story, and I love his approach to storytelling, which is to invite people into the raw and real details of a story, not just skipping over to a happy ending. And that's the kind of stuff we're going to get into today. Welcome, John. So happy to have you here.
1: It's so awesome. And, and I love that introduction because you were a true storyteller and you've, you've got a great voice for this. I don't know if I, maybe you've been told that as well, but your delivery is just absolutely fantastic.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that as a, uh, as a fellow podcaster and someone who's, who's done quite a bit of recording. And I'd love to get into some of your experiences as a podcaster and hearing other people tell their stories. But to start with, maybe you could tell us a bit about your own, like what, how did you get here? What was your before?
1: Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I think back to, you, you know, going through like my twenties and life seemed to be going pretty good. I had, uh, I, I've got a wonderful wife still is my wife to this day. Um, you know, I was in, I was in great shape, uh, really on a good trajectory traveling the world, you know, living the dream. And then, you know, I went through that traumatic experience and that just at 29 years old, that just rocked everything. So nearly, nearly dying at 29 years old really changed my entire perspective on life. And that sort of sent me on this trajectory of like, really actually trying to understand who am I and and like, what am I doing? The things in life that I thought were important, turns out that they didn't matter in that moment. And it really, again, it really changed my perspective on life, but going through something like that doesn't it isn't quite like a lightning bolt from heaven, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: There's a journey to go through to come out the other side. And I think that's actually been inspired, uh, eventually inspired what became the podcast between the before and after. was this idea that people will see the journey that I've been on. And it's so tempting to look at the pictures and, and go, okay, like that didn't look like it was too difficult. Or even to read a story in a couple of pages. But to, to go through that, this is like a nearly decade long journey of trying to uncover like who I am and what it is that I want to actually do with my life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It can be really easy to see kind of at it to feel at a glance like, oh, yeah, you know, before I was here, I was down and out. And then boom, something happened. I had an epiphany where, you know, I I went through that like little montage that you might see in the movies of like, you know, cleaning up your house or studying for the exam or, (laughs) you know, working out Rocky style. And then boom, here I am today. There's so much that happens in that in between. That's um, so
1: funny. I was thinking about the term story arc. Sorry to cut you off, but I was thinking about yeah. the term story arc. And, and it's like this smooth line, you know, and, and maybe it's, it's either down or up. But I was like, I don't think stories, real stories have an arc. It's more like this jagged uh, <laughs> journey of up and down, like a crazy stock market graph or something like that. And there might be a trend in that story, but um, I don't see it quite as, as being an arc or a nice smooth line.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, truthfully too, if you do kind of look at narrative arcs and there are different forms of them as well, but even that kind of classic hero's journey, there is this kind of up and down movement to it. And and even in this oversimplified format does bake in multiple steps. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the the hero wants something, they're entering into some kind of some sort of journey so you know some some sort of goal that they're moving towards something happens and then you know maybe they kind of adjust to that or kind of work through that and then something bigger happens or more significant and they kind of you know figure that out and there's like multiple steps until we get to sort of the climax where they they reach that pinnacle and then get over that hump, achieve that goal and then move into whatever it is that happens. Next, so you know, I and I, I, I don't have anything against either a simplified before and after kind of story because I think it can be useful. But it's true that there, um, if we simplify it too much, we don't really get all of that good juicy detail and, and opportunities for learning and connecting with each other when we're just trying to make ourselves and our stories into something that is too quick,
1: too polished. In, in the age of the internet, of like memes and sound bites and reels and shorts and, and things like that. And, and I agree, there's definitely value. I mean, I have little short snippets of before and afters on my, on my website. And I, I think a lot of my interest in the story also comes from the coaching that I do. And I sometimes joke that my role as a coach is actually like I should be titled expectation manager um, because <laughs> people come into, let's say, wanting to work with me to help them achieve a transformation. And they have an idea in their head of how this is going to look because they've read some of these before and after stories. And yeah, it'll be a little, you know, a little bit tough. But I mean, I think now I'm going to get there and, and it's going to be a reasonably smooth ride. And then I give them my tunnel of sewage analogy and kind of explain the journey that we're about to go on and what it's actually going to be like. But this is kind of what it takes to get to the other side. And it's spoken not only, you know, I, I joke and if it's worth it exploring we can i can explain the tunnel of sewage but people can probably put a picture in their head anyways um i i I say that i'm a fairly prolific tunnel of sewage navigator having been through multiple ones myself and guided many people through them so i'm i'm just quite familiar with what it's like to go through the the nitty-gritty and the ugly and i don't shy away from it um but it's partly because i worked with someone who helped me become open about my own struggles my own demons the things that i had to wrestle with to get to where i am today
0: Mm, yeah so speaking of that, and uh, and I mean, we don't have to, but are you comfortable talking about what that traumatic event was for you and what that process kind of looked like? Like, can you kind of share some of that with us?
1: So my wife and I were living in, in South Africa at the time, and we were working with underprivileged youth, uh, kind of a, a non-government program, teaching life skills, preparing them for meaningful employment, that kind of thing, because the South African education system was really failing young people. And so we were invited to be a part of this project. And it, was, it sounded really, really exciting. But uh, at one point when we were out there, um, we were living on a nature reserve. And uh, I was going back to the cabin where the, the instructor's cabin uh, one night, and um, I got there, and the door was slightly ajar <laughs> and it didn 't really occur to me that something was off. I was like, "Oh, well, I guess I just forgot to shut the door or something because we we 're in this nature reserve, kind of in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and open the door, and there 's three guys at the table and again, my brain still isn 't going there 's something wrong with this picture because i 'm in a place where i wouldn 't assume something this would take place didn 't see the fourth guy and 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 but of course they see me and they, they jump up, jump up and come after me. And the fourth guy who was outside the cabin, you know, hits me, smashes me across the head with, with a rock. And that's my brain starts to go, Oh, something's really Mm -hmm. wrong in this situation here. And, uh, you know, he got a hold of me and he smashed me again. And now I'm kind of concussed and I'm I'm bleeding and I fall to the ground and, and they just kind of jump on me and start pummeling me. And, uh, I recall like Screaming for help, and as uh, though that was going to do something, and and nobody hearing me. And it was, it, it was, it was dark. It was, uh, I mean, physically dark. It was just uh, a really dark experience. But. <sighs> it's so interesting when I look back and reflect, there's kind of like two parts that experience. There's the sort of primal part where I'm like, you know, screaming for help and fighting for my life. And there's a part of my brain that's going, this can't be real. Is this actually happening to me? Is this how my life ends? I can't mm-hmm. die tonight. There's things I want to do. And, and I can say that if I sound relatively lighthearted, it's, it's because I've, i went through the dark places to get to the place where I'm okay with talking about it. And I managed to get myself to my feet. I'm a pretty big guy. I'm pretty strong. Um, and stagger off to the other building where other people were. And for whatever reason, they didn't pursue me. I don't, I don't know why, but if I'd been hit probably once more across the head, I was unconscious and they would have just beat me to death. Um, So there was that initial trauma. And then we were trapped in the building and there, these guys, we didn't know how many were out there. I didn't even really know how many attackers there were at the time. Um, And then, you know, we, we got everybody safely in the building. My wife was incredibly brave in this experience. Um, and, but they were trying to like beat down the doors with shovels and things and break in and just like terrorize us essentially. And so it took quite a while before they, like almost an hour before the police showed up. And even then they didn't really take it that seriously because I didn't die and nobody got raped. I, I, I ended up going mm-hmm. to the hospital, spent the night in the hospital and so on. But, um, so so then now there's a fallout from that, though. So you hear that, you think, okay, whew, I survived. The next little bit after that was like, okay, they're not going to win. They don't get to, you know, ruin our time here, ruin our experience here, this kind of thing. We're strong and so on. But now the trauma starts to, like, come out. And now the, the behavior patterns, the coping mechanisms, the overwhelming emotions, the flashbacks, the reliving the experience, none of these things we were really prepared for. And I wasn't prepared for it. So that led me into yeah. basically into like binge eating and food addiction as a coping mechanism without realizing it, which then led to very, very significant weight gain. <clears throat> Along the way, that also led me to really start to hate myself or hate what I had become because I didn't understand what was happening to me. I didn't understand the urges and the lack of control I seemed to have. And I couldn't seem to, to, to reconcile how I could be an educated person and really knowledgeable about what I do and then be behaving in this way that seems so different or so contrary to the values that I thought that I stood for. Mm. And then, so, and I was really in denial even about the weight gain. Like, I still pictured myself as the athlete and it probably took about six months before I realized like, whoa, like something really serious has happened here. Like I'm, I'm huge and I don't know how I got here. And so that served now this journey back. And The first thing I really wanted to do was to not be angry anymore. I became exhausted with being angry. And I realized if I'm going to, if I'm ever going to sort of begin to break free from this, I actually have to forgive the men who did this to me. And that started this next process. Well, how do you forgive people who tried to kill you? (laughs) And they would probably try to kill me again if they saw me. And and so thus began like asking the question, like what happened in their life? What happened to them? that got them to the place where this is what they're doing with their life. And every time I would feel the rage coming up, the anger, the the somehow wanting to act out and and take my anger and frustration out on someone or something, which I never did, but I sure thought about it a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I would then try to cultivate some kind of compassion because I would remind myself I'm tired of being angry. I don't want to be angry all the time. And strangely enough, it was easier to forgive them than it was to forgive myself.
0: Hmm. And at what, at what point did you say, okay, there's work I have to do on myself?
1: That, that was <laughs> probably took a few more years. And it sounds funny to just sort of say a few years in, in a simple line, but I, I thought, okay, I just have to lose the weight and I'll get kind of back to being who I am. That was the thought I had in my mind. So I started down on this journey of like trying to lose the weight. I know how to work out. I used to be an athlete. I know how to eat and all this kind of stuff. But these patterns of like binge eating and food and uh, guilt and shame and all of this had got so deeply ingrained so relatively quickly um, that it just set off kind of this battle. And I, I tried to use the tools that I had. Okay, I'll lift harder. Okay, I'll snort more pre-workout. Okay, I'll lift longer. I'll sleep less and work harder and, and just driving and pushing and trying to force like change to happen. And then the anxiety and panic attacks started happening. Um, and subsequent depression that would come with it because it would essentially be my nervous system would just and going to overdrive because I was putting so many stimulants in my body. And then I would fall into this depressive funk. It would just would feel like this black cloud would come over my head for weeks at a time. And I would just be entirely apathetic and uncaring and like unable to feel anything. And there was, so there was this roller coaster back and forth like when's the next panic attack coming, but I need these stimulants to try to function and so on. And so it's really kind of destructive cycle and it came to a head around 2017 when I got a, I was, I was purchasing some life insurance as you do as a responsible adult and I'd have this, this medical assessment and uh, they couldn't get my heart rate, the the, the, Nurse that came along to assess me, he couldn't get my my heart rate down. He, we even tried like laying on the floor, to see what we get my heart rate down mm. to and my blood pressure down to. But at the time, I was like 290 pounds, and like the lowest it got to was like 145 over 95. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so I'm sorry, but I, I have to record this as it is. And so I had to pay so what's known as a rider, an extra fee on top of my monthly life insurance because I was at higher risk of dying and dying sooner. And that was what actually led me to um, finding coach Scott, the guy that, uh, I say really, he really changed my life because I'd tried hiring coaches before. And it was a really frustrating experience for me and probably for the coach as well, because I really didn't know what I needed. I thought I just needed someone to whip me into shape someone to, you know, criticize me when I'm not succeeding, tell me to work harder, that kind of thing. And that's not what I got when I started working with Scott. And he really modeled for me what compassion looks like because I didn't really know how to show it to myself.
0: Mm -hmm. And that question that he asked you, when you say a a question um, changed your life, was that the question Scott asked you?
1: It was. So he asked me this question. If you make a list of all the things you love and value, how far down that list do I go before I see your name? And so for me, the answer was, I'm not on the list. It really, it was a concept I couldn't seem to comprehend that I was allowed to be on the list of things I love and value, let alone somewhere near the top. Mm -hmm. That was it, it. So it really went against who I saw myself to be and what I understood even masculinity to be at the time. And, and so maybe I viewed compassion as like a, a form of weakness, like, this and so I was I was really behaving in a very hyper masculine kind of way, you know, listening to heavy metal and powerlifting and this <laughs> morning <pre-workout> and <laughs> doing all these things to compensate for. You know, it turns out I'm actually like an empath who's like just a big teddy bear who like loves people, <laughs> and and uh, so it kind of took almost like going through this. And my wife kind of knew it, I guess she had a sense of this long ago, um, and for some reason she like she never left me in all of this. And there were times where I tried to tell her like, you should just leave because you didn't sign up for this. Mm. You didn't sign up to watch me go through this. You didn't sign up for me to be like this. And I, and I, I hated myself so much in that moment. And I thought she must feel the same way about me, but she didn't. She, she still knew who I was at heart and what the potential was. And, And same thing with Scott. I, um, you know, after four months, I hadn't really lost any weight. I just tried to tell him like how much of a failure I was and how much of a waste of his time I was and so on, that he should just basically give up on me. And, and he wouldn't <laughs> for some reason, well, because he's a good coach. And, and so that really started to change my relationship to myself as I started to challenge this belief that I'd held for so long that I was not worthy of love or compassion or self-care and even change, well, what does that look like? To have mm-hmm. compassion and care.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I can appreciate that it was a a long process for you. Like you say, you know, and it wasn't just it wasn't just one moment; it was many moments. It was the, the moments of practicing forgiveness. It's the moment of seeking coaching and and looking around until you found a person who was right for you. And then it was you know the moment when Scott asks you that question. But then also all of those subsequent moments of really. Taking that in, reflecting on it, and I and I imagine practicing and slowly engaging more. You know, you don't just go, ah, oh, right, self compassion—that's the solution—and then, bing, overnight, now you, <laughs> you know, you've gone from self-loathing to total self-compassion and inner peace.
1: No, there was a lot of wrestling that took place and uh, just with trying to change a belief that had been really hardwired for for so long, because, you know, I I kind of like to define a belief in a simple way as saying a thought that we hold to be true, whether or not it's actually accurate um, is kind of irrelevant in this circumstance. And so when a belief is challenged, it, it seems to trigger a response like it's threatening our sense of identity. It's threatening to disconnect from the present reality that we perceive to be true. And so there's a natural inherent resistance against this. And so a lot of people kind of wonder, well, how did you, how did you go about this? And I and I say, well, it started with brushing my teeth. Which <laughs> sounds yeah. like a really, really simple thing. But it was it was an action that was contrary to this belief that I held that I'm not worthy of love and self care. Because brushing your teeth is a simple act in yourself, saying that like, why do I brush my teeth? Because I have a future. And in mm-hmm. that future, I want to have my teeth. But <laughs> yeah. it's also funny to say it, right? Yeah,
0: but, so true.
1: And so this little action that wasn't too big to sort of threaten this belief, it just kind of slipped in under the radar, but repeated over time kind of chips away at this belief. And then you add just another little action step and you're drinking some water in the morning. Why do I hydrate? Because I need to hydrate to take care of my body. Oh, okay. Like, so self-care doesn't have to look like what would often is actually self-indulgence, it it is actually taking care of yourself and doing things that your your body needs and requires versus just indulging to numb and soothe the emotions which is what I've been doing for so long.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now that kind of uh, approach I take it and and this very kind of compassionate approach is, is inherent not just in how you live your life but I imagine and it comes across through your coaching and how you help others.
1: Absolutely. It I couldn't do what I do now if I hadn't been through what I'd been through and hadn't been coached the way I had been coached. And if I may say like, I do view myself as a world-class coach now. And and I say that without a trace of hyperbole, but I can't really, in a sense, take the credit. This isn't like I'm a self-made person. Yes. I have some natural gifts and abilities that I was born with. I can't even take the credit for that. Um, But the people who guided and helped and shaped and molded and saw and believed and, And nurtured, really, allowed me to get to this place where now I can do the same for others. And uh, sometimes I joke my coaching superpower is like x-ray vision. It's this ability to, and I can't fully explain it, but to look at somebody and to see potential. And it's potential that they may not even be able to see within themselves. And it's really exciting when somebody comes to me. One of my clients is 66 and has 200 pounds to lose. And has had like two knee replacements and walks with a walker. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's one of my most like exciting clients for me because I I'm so thrilled that somebody at that stage in life hasn't said that's it, I'm just giving up and, and just accepting my fate. But mm-hmm. no, there's still something and I still believe this is possible. And and of course I see what's possible. And of course I'm I'm operating in the realm of reality. She's not twenty one years old. There mm-hmm. there are some things that we can't necessarily entirely come back from. But there's still a more hopeful future than she presently has in her present condition. And that's exciting.
0: Yeah, that's a really beautiful thing. And I do think it's it, and it's one of the, the most amazing things of coming through difficult times too. When you've come through not believing in your own self and or not believing in life, then when you're able to go through that and, and get some of that belief back, you can hold it, I think, more for other people as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for sharing that with me and, and being so candid about it. How... Did sharing your story play a role in your own journey? Because I, I know you you had shared a bit of this with me before in other contexts. I imagine you've you've talked about it with other people in, yeah. and in other places. Can you tell me a bit about what that's like and like has that been part of how you've gotten to this place of being yeah. comfortable with who you are and talking about your experiences?
1: Absolutely. I remember the first time so I, I was always a good like coach and teacher it's kind of this ability that I, I was born with like i said i taught my friends how to read for example um it just i it, in grade eight i was like the player the assistant coach on the basketball team uh you know and so coaching and teaching has been just a part of how i operate throughout the world like uh through my world r- really from the beginning of my life and so um but now i run into this sort of well imposter syndrome in a sense I'm entering the world of like nutrition and fitness and offering my services to help and guide other people in this way. But I don't look like the people that I'm seeing on Instagram. (laughs) Mm. And so now I'm afraid. I'm like, there's if people see and see who I actually am, the fact that I've got loose, flappy skin and I don't walk around with six pack abs and things. Who's going to take me seriously as a nutrition coach when I see all these beautiful, perfectly sculpted bodies, you know, on display on Instagram? And of course, the algorithm pushes these up because it it draws our eyeballs, whether we like it or not. And so I go, how on earth do I compete with that? And and living with the weight of this fear of like, if people discover that I don't look like a fitness model. What are they going to, you know, what are they going to do? But I got, again, kind of like I got tired of being angry. In this case, I got tired of carrying this weight of imposter syndrome. And I was like, finally got to this kind of like screw it moment where I was like, fine, I'm going to put my story out there rather than somebody else discover it accidentally. So it's going to be on my terms. And so back in about 2018, um, and I just had a huge business failure that cost me more than enough money for two mortgages. <laughs> so hmm. it's quite a significant sum. And thankfully I was working with coach Scott at the time. And so he, again, he helped me go through the sort of the devastation of that loss as well and and the loss of friendship and so on that took place in that was like well I'm just gonna have to tell people my story and and Uh I did and I remember when I clicked post and I was just like oh my gosh my whole world's going to come crumbling down even more because not only I've just had this huge business failure so now people are going to see me as a failure but now they're going to learn this about me as well
0: Uh and and
1: everybody's going to leave me that was my, you know,
0: that's the internal story. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the exact opposite happened. And it was it, it like blew me away. People responded with like, care. And and they were like, wow, this is incredible. You know, thank you for sharing. And uh, we never realized this about you. And to this day, it's the reason why people sign up to work with me because they say, well, you understand, you mm. actually know what this is like. You, you didn't, you don't look like you just had an easy road to get to this place, and so I can actually relate to that more than maybe. And this is not against anyone who's been athletic and who's fit and who's been in fitness their whole life. I have a world of respect for that. But my journey looks a little bit different, and mm-hmm. so the people that come to work with me, they're like, "Well, I, I feel like you'll get me more than someone who's never really struggled with this, and it turned into essentially my biggest asset in business."
0: Right. Yeah, that's amazing and it, uh, to me it makes a lot of sense i think you know that you often those transformational kind of moments come from that willingness to be vulnerable and to stop stop hiding and say okay this is this is who we are i mean my own experience is is similar when i um a little over 10 years ago shared my story about just growing up with a heart condition. And I uh, put that into a speech and made that public, you know, that became kind of my calling card. I, as I went into my own business, I called it storytelling with heart, which is, you know, a a bit of a pun. It's like, yeah, I tell stories. I put myself into them, my heart into them, but it's also, you know, like heart literally, as in I'm not going to hide the things that I I was once ashamed of or the, you know, just uncomfortable things uh, that brought me here or that are about myself. And I want to be able to help other people express those parts of themselves as well and the things that they really care about and that they want to put out into the world in this kind of heart centered way. And amazingly, I mean, I can attribute most of my business to that single speech because that allowed me, it worked as a kind of a calling card, like I said, and it allowed me to show something of myself that allowed me to get a client that allowed me to get another client and another client and so on. And so, and I I hear a lot of these kinds of stories that when you see people who wind up making big changes, writing books and building their businesses and brands, it starts from often at least, if not more than one, but one of these moments where you just go, all right you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'd love to ask you a bit about your, your podcast and, and, um, did you have something else you wanted to add there before I transition?
1: No, I think that that's a great thing to to move to because, um, I got into podcasting partly because of, well, I guess we'd call it social media burnout Mm. And I think it's going to actually be accelerated with the addition of AI-generated content now, just to throw that out there. Yeah. Like the competition to try to keep up algorithmically with the volume of content being pumped out, like it just, yeah, not, not going to happen. No, you can't. And so I, I randomly saw this ad for Be A Guest on Other People's podcasts and I thought, wow, that seems a lot better getting in front of new audiences instead of just trying to hustle and grind my little... I, I probably at that time had maybe... Eight or 10,000 people across all my platforms, which sounds like a big number, but it's actually quite small. And I thought, man, I just, I'm just like hustling and scraping and grinding. I mean, in relative terms, I've been successful. I've been in this, at this for eight, eight years in total. And, and since 2018, since that business failure, I've been exclusively online. And, um, I attribute my longevity to actually being good at what I do, but that being being said, I still get, uh, got tired of like social media. So I got into podcasting and then people kept asking, well, when are you going to start your own podcast? it's like, what am I going to talk about? You know, I, I I don't know. Um, but I'd actually a couple of years earlier just started taking some of my Facebook lives that I'd done for my, my Facebook group and just published the audio version of them on Anchor and called it a podcast, but it was really for my clients who couldn't attend the Facebook lives, who said, I'd love to be able to listen to that. Maybe when I'm doing housework or something like that. And so I'd called it wellness unplugged, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and I got interviewed by this guy and he went and plugged that podcast. Like he somehow found, <laughs> like <seven laughs> he found it and he plugged it. So I said, okay, since he's now that he's like said, it, I guess this is my sign that I actually have to go and, and start doing this. And so I I went to the first podcast I was ever interviewed on and I said, hey, would you be interested in being a guest on my new podcast that I'm kind of restarting again? And so Wellness Unplugged originally was just uh, about being in the wellness space and people's kind of stories of how they got to doing what they do in the wellness space. And this guy happened to be a neuroscience researcher, which is an area I'm really fascinated in. But after probably 10 or 15 episodes, I realized I wanted the freedom to explore more, um, I love wellness. It's, it's my world in a sense, but even more than that, I love stories and I love human stories and, and being inspired by them. And so I I took the step to, to rebrand my podcast as between the before and after a space where we can explore the messy details of people's stories, of overcoming adversity in life. And uh, really it's, it's become like my life's kind of passion project because I think we, as human beings, we, you know, we, we, we read ourselves into stories and in that we're kind of looking for something to, to give us hope. Okay, I see myself in this narrative and I see how this narrative goes. So, I see it's actually possible for me to maybe achieve what this individual has because I'm not so different from them.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I love that you gave yourself the the freedom to kind of transition and, and explore as well as opposed to kind of keeping yourself in this in this little box, you know, you tried it and then it's like, okay, I'd like to expand this a little bit and, and, and just kind of follow that, that thread. So now you've interviewed over a hundred people in your podcast. What are some of the things that you've learned from hearing other people's stories? I'm I'm curious, like, are there any kinds of threads or ideas or things that have stayed with you?
1: Yeah. Well, probably one of, the, one of the biggest things, it seems like a really simple takeaway is exactly that we're not so different. Like even people like the human condition, there's a surprising commonality to it. And on top of that, we're more resilient than we might give ourselves credit for, but we don't usually discover that resilience until it's put to the ultimate test.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I hear these stories because I explore people's backstories too. And I think, you know, this just sounds like an ordinary, normal person. And then they're confronted with this circumstance in life that they're not prepared for. I wasn't prepared to go through what I went through. And nothing in life can really, you can't actually be prepared for these kinds of experiences. But in that moment, we have to dig deep, we have to struggle, we have to find and somehow we figure out a way to survive and get through it and to get past it. And so I I really, I, I believe that there's this, Kind of beautiful innate capacity in each one of us to do this, but it sometimes takes the most difficult of circumstances to actually uncover that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Has there been anything in through the experience, whether through hearing those stories or just the podcast in general, that has changed you or how you approach life or how you like? Do you do anything differently because of it?
1: I, I really think that I'm more. Present. So again, this this I, I work in the digital world. I work in the online world. It's it's a space where there's just an, an infinitely impossible a volume of information being pumped out every second of every day, and it's overwhelming. And going into these conversations, it's like we get to shut that out, and I just mm-hmm. get to enter into this this kind of sacred space with another human being, and. I, I do my best to create a space where people feel safe and comfortable being open and vulnerable. And I get to hear things. And then we actually get to publish them that maybe they've never said before. I, I, I chuckle the number of times I hear, well, I've never really said this publicly before, but, and it might be coming from somebody you would never expect, which is really kind of, it's really kind of a thrill. I, I love getting to uncover these, these nuggets, but ultimately I think this makes me want to be more present in moments in my life. And uh, I'm a father of a, of a toddler with another one on the way. And I, I'm already amazed at how fast two years has gone by with this little human being. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm so excited that I get to do this again, because it already went by, like, feels like too fast. And so mm-hmm. I really make so, you know, we have breakfast every morning together now. And we we make a point of that we have morning snuggles. And um, every afternoon, I take my little son to the park and it's kind of my workout now. I don't work out in such a traditional sense because I, truthfully, don't really have the time. <laughs> because yeah. it,
0: you're too busy uh, chasing <laughs> your little guy um, around. And
1: so, I mean, and, and I know some people make it work with like gyms and their kids and things like that. But I have more fun, like running around the playground and trying to jam myself down slides and through tunnels and climbing on monkey bars and things with him than than I do in the gym. Uh, and so I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. Um, I got a little car that I push him up this hill, which is a great leg workout, and he thinks is the best thing ever. And then I just let him go flying down the hill. He's strapped in, so he's, you know, it's, it's safe. But <laughs> you know, my wife sometimes is like a little worried, but I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, he'll be all right. And uh, so I've I've kind of turned that into and and then, but these are the moments that I want to capture and just be present with. And so I want because I know I can't hold this time forever, and so I want to be able to look back on this time and say. I, I gave him every ounce of love that I had and I was as present as I could possibly be in like the given circumstances. like running a business is tough. Running a business is busy. There's a lot going on. I could be a workaholic and I, before kids, I was a workaholic. And so it's like, this is my, and so to tie it back to podcasting, like making space for a conversation like this in a world that feels like we have to just get like the next like tasty nugget or soundbite or tweet or whatever out has reminded me of like the value of slowing down to be present in these different moments in my life.
0: Yeah. I love that so much. And I, I love, I love a couple of things you said there, including just the idea of taking, like taking the time for conversation. Um, I was thinking about this uh, recently and that for a while, anyway, I don't know if there's still so, if it's still such a topic of discussion, but I feel like, you know, maybe five to 10 years ago, especially there was such an emphasis on productivity and efficiency and ways of like optimizing your day and your time. And I mean, I've never been super into that stuff, but um, there's maybe just more of an emphasis on it. Or I would think, well, this is how, you know, successful people work. This is how leaders work. But in my experience with the people that I work with and the clients I have who are really successful, who have really notable businesses or organizations behind them and awards or gold medals or, you know, significant accomplishments, they actually are not the people who are booked back to back to back to back or don't have time for conversation or don't have time to, you know, often with some of them, when we chat, we we go over our allotted time which you know i'm not touting necessarily as a as a like a a time management tip but i just mean actually taking this time to speak to someone and be present with the person that you're with and invested in that conversation um seems to me to be really important and valuable the other thing that you said that i really relate to also is just this practice of focus I have been interviewing people in various forms pretty much my my whole career because I've been in different kinds of communications and it's always been involved. If I'm writing on some ha- you know in some way on behalf of a client, whether I'm doing when I was more involved in journalism or advertising or you know in, in public relations kind of earlier in my career, I can remember in particular interviewing people to write, articles on their behalf, or press releases, or what have you. And I think in those earlier days, there was so much this still this voice in my head that's going, how am I doing? Am I asking the right questions? What do I have to ask next? Uh, Do I sound professional enough? What if this happens? What if that happens? Yada, yada. And over time, learning to tune all of that out, and just be present with the person, listen to what they're saying, care, and realize that if I am attuned to them, if I'm if I'm tuned into that, if I care, if I'm curious, um, sure, I still have at the back of my head going, depending on what the project is, what's the story, what questions do I need to ask? But being able to really just follow what's in front of me and not have that that self-consciousness or that other chatter going on. And to me... I think largely it's it's just a practice. What have you learned or noticed about that? Like, is that a skill you've developed?
1: Oh, 100%. And I think that coaching made me a better podcaster, and podcasting is making me a better coach mm. for exactly what you're describing here. Because let's say somebody comes onto my show, and I think, like, th- this is a one opportunity to make a connection, and I want them to have a great interview. I want them to, like, want to rave about the experience of coming on my show and being interviewed by me. And, I re- and, and that happens actually quite a bit. But the reason I realized that it does is I actually try not to over-research my guests mm-hmm. and try to think of too many questions. For the, I described earlier, I love the joy of discovery of something unexpected. Yeah. And it, it's very genuine when that comes through. And, and so just to listen to what they're saying, to be present, to uh, not worry about what my next question is going to be, because I know they're going to share something and, and bring that natural curiosity into it. Like, I have a, just a fascination for human beings and their stories. And that's that's enough uh, to, mm-hmm. you know, just something will randomly pique my interest. Like, oh, I want to know more about that. This wasn't where we expected the conversation to go. But let's go there. Let's explore right.
0: that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think it's underrated. There's um, a topic that comes up quite a bit on this podcast as well, just when I'm asking leaders, different thought leaders, you know, how they got here and curiosity is something that comes up again and again, and just allowing yourself to be curious and fascinated. It also kind of just relieves you of the obligation of, I have to know everything, I have to have the perfect soundbite to be uber prepared, etc, etc. It's like, no, no, you get to just be here in this moment and allow yourself to be really genuinely curious about the person in front of you, the story you're learning about, whatever that subject is, you just kind of get to fully dive in. And I think that's such a beautiful thing.
1: I think about some of the guests that I've had who they, they kind of had an agenda. And, and so I've learned to screen guests a little bit better as well they come up with an agenda. They have this one thing they're dead set on talking about. Then there's yes. these things they want to present and so on and so forth. And then the conversation begins to feel stilted because it, it will become very apparent to the listener that they, that they're not really being authentic. And, and I had one, one guest on and really liked this individual as, as a person, but when they were on the show, Everything sounded like, you know, when someone gets interviewed on TV and you have like a four minute time slot, so everything has to be like short, choppy and Mm so on. And it was, everything sounded like too perfect, too polished, too delivered. And I thought, you know, that was a really good lesson for me, um, to try to again, shape the expectations of those who might come in my show that we're not that that's the exact opposite of what we want to be. I still published the interview. There were still some good moments from it, but I know as the interviewer, I felt like I'm not, you're hiding. You're hiding Mm -hmm. this polish. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so I want to do a better job of inviting you to let that down, to not worry about your hair and your makeup or things like that. Like, you know, um, so that's, that's really, really important for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense to set those expectations. In my experience with interviewing people, I, I feel that, you know, there's a lot that we can bring to it as the interviewer to try to cultivate this to try to help someone feel safe. I try to be clear about my own vulnerabilities or that I'm willing to share. I'm willing to be open so that other people feel it's safe for them to do the same, but there have been the odd, the odd time, not podcasting, just with interviews in general where I, I (laughs) going like, okay, this is a tough nut to crack. You know, a lot of times people will be so open and generous. I mean, truly the vast majority of interviews, whatever it's for, um, like come away feeling touched by how open people are, how willingness, how willing they are to really share themselves. I think often just giving people an opportunity to share their story and something about themselves. Most of us really are ready for that. We're, we're looking for opportunities to do that, especially in a more genuine way, but there are some folks where that's, that's still harder for them or they're not used to it. And and I'm like, okay, this is where my work becomes. <laughs> i got to work really hard to get this story out, you know, to, to kind of get that information out of that story that I'm looking for.
1: Mm. And I think you do a fantastic job of, of creating that space. And because I think maybe even the phrase like create space sometimes is a bit cliche and whatnot, but it's still we don't have a better term. Then mm. let me just let me be present with you. Let my genuine warmth and human compassion like we've never met physically in person as of mm-hmm. yet, but we've had three, four conversations, and every one of them has felt like meaningful and warm and connected. And it so it speaks to like there is the ability to do this, and that's what I actually love. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fascinating component of being human. How can we do this when we're not even physically in the same location? That's pretty right. cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And it, um, there's been so many times in, in my life too where I've gone to do interviews, like again, maybe on behalf of a client. Like, say, I'm sometimes I will do um, like, you know, customer research or I'm interviewing to get testimonials or success stories or things like that. And I will wind up getting to talk to people that I think I have nothing in common with people who have, you know, they live completely differently, they look totally different, they do different kinds of work, different. Uh, value systems like and and then through the course of the conversation I will often find what you described you know a sense of connection and humanness and just that when they when somebody lets down their guard a bit with you too and just shares their humanness I think it you used the word sacred earlier in this conversation and and I I really feel that way too and maybe that leads into another question I had wanted to ask you that I was curious about is why is it important to you to help other people share their stories, not just your own, not just your own experiences, your own thoughts, beliefs, etc., but to create this space for other people to share theirs?
1: Well, there's definitely a selfish motive there in one sense in that, I want to learn and grow. I don't want to live in a silo of my own thoughts where I hear people tell me how great they are. I, I think I am thoughtful. and I think I have interesting things to contribute to conversations. But if I was the only voice I was hearing, um, I don't think that would be very healthy for my growth and development. And so I love getting to connect with people and to hear their stories for, for my own personal growth. But then I also think about, well, um, there's there's a lot of, Animosity, tension, political tension, and and so on—that takes place in our world. It seems to be this inevitable part of the human condition. But so much of it comes from an unwillingness to hear somebody else and to give them the space to to speak. And so, I really appreciate giving someone the space to be heard, even if I don't agree with maybe the position they held. And I actually, had a second podcast project and. Sometimes I feel it calling me. It's on the shelf because Between the Porn After is doing so well that I have to really put my attention to that one. But it's called It's Not So Black and White. And uh, this is a, a space for, for these kinds of conversations. And I, I kind of feel this longing of wanting to reopen that box as well. It might have to wait a little bit longer. Um, but this space for the goal behind that, even was the space for civil discussion around topics we disagree on to even emulate that it is possible to have these kinds of conversations. And through all of this, I've, I've had the privilege of traveling around the world. I've been to 45 countries on five continents. I've lived in seven countries and, and and have genuinely lived, not just went to somewhere as a tourist, but lived in amongst the people uh, as a local as much as I could. It was in many places very obvious that I wasn't from there, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm very white. But um, that experience, what it really showed me is that there's we have so much more in common than we do different. And a lot of things we're fighting over are, are like semantics about things. We, we have common goals and interests. We all want, you know, or, or most of us anyways, want, you know, love and family and connection and food and shelter, and clothing. some of these basic needs. And then a little bit of self-actualization thrown in there. That's kind of what we're looking for, a sense of meaning and purpose in, in, in our lives. And so again, getting to, inviting people into these conversations and creating a greater connection you know, it sounds lofty, but really to, to show our common humanity from diverse and different backgrounds, it might mean that there's just a little bit less animosity in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's really lovely. And, um, you know, it's something that's on my mind too, because I, you know, my my purpose and the work that I do is about helping other people share their stories. And yes, I want to share mine and I do my own writing and and books and love to talk about my own story as well. But my my work is not really about mine. It's about Mm -hmm. other people's. Um and I work with clients where I have a strong lasting relationship and where, you know, I, I genuinely love them, care about them, and have similar values. You know, I'm not gonna work with someone where I I really feel like I wouldn't work with somebody who's, you know, hateful or, or bigoted or, you know, has, has stuff like that to share, of course. Um, but there are nuances and things that, that they believe that I may not believe or I might, you know, we might just be slightly different or some variance there. Um, and there are definitely times where I need to, push them to think, let's think more about this or challenge that thinking. And other times where I need to just back off a bit and it's like, this is theirs. This is their story. It's their point of view. And my, my purpose here, my real role is as a conduit for them to express that. And as you know, let's elevate it as best we can express it as best we can think, you know, uh, think critically about it, but it's theirs. And, um, I think we live in a world where there is a lot of pressure and emphasis to, like, get your view out as quickly (laughs) and emphatically as possible. And clearly, I want to champion people being prolific and expressive. But I don't know. I guess I think in in my world, I have learned that there's something really also beautiful about being able to just make space for someone else's point of view that might be different from your own. And I, I get the sense that you do that as well and appreciate that as well. So it's cool to hear your perspective on that.
1: Yeah, I think we we shut ourselves off from growth when we, again, when we put ourselves into a silo. What, what we want to accomplish with storytelling is as we see people's humanity, because in, in order, I think, to hate somebody, you really have to kind of dehumanize them. Mm-hmm. And so when we start to tell a story, and we start to understand the backstory and how somebody got to this place, so even it goes back to the people to the men that tried to kill me i I still think what they did was wrong and and in some way, shape or form, they they will answer for their actions and behavior. I don't know what that is, but I think eventually we all do if we behave in a certain way in this world that that will come about. But I couldn't hold on to that desire in my own heart if I wanted to move forward with my life. I couldn't hold on to this anger and this rage and this wishing bad things would happen it, it's they, uh, I forget the expression exactly, but it's like drinking poison and trying to kill the other person.
0: Mm-hmm. Holding on yeah. to this
1: kind of stuff. And so I, I had to, in my head, kind of formulate some semblance of a story. It wasn't, I didn't know their exact backstory, but I, I'd lived in South Africa for long enough and worked with underprivileged young people to get a backstory of what their life was actually like. And from that, I could piece together probably a reasonable narrative as to what their backstory might've looked like that shaped them to get to this place. And that's what actually allowed me to move on. So this, again, this storytelling, showcasing our humanity can really go a long ways to remove the animosity we would feel towards other people.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you make a good point too, that that story-making is going to happen. Our brains are wired for story. Story is how we make sense of the world. We're telling stories all the time about ourselves our place in the world our beliefs about the world these are all kind of stories that our our brain is creating and um so you know if we can get better at bringing those stories forward understanding them okay here's the story i'm making about this now what do i really want that story to be or is that true or can i challenge that and engaging with it in a more meaningful way then we have the opportunity to to tell a story that's going to be better for us really for our own healing and and growth and and for the world and how we engage with other people
1: Mm. it's storytelling um has been a part of the human psyche since human beings have walked this earth. It's how we communicate information for most of human history, even because literacy wasn't really a thing for a lot of human beings for, again, most of human history. We live in a very privileged time to enjoy high rates of literacy. But as you said, and our brains are wired for for stories. And uh, it's important, I think, that we work with our brains the way that our brain, brains actually work if again if we want to be able to be kind of a force or an influence for creating meaningful positive change in the world
0: yeah well said well thank you john this has been really wonderful i've appreciated your your openness with your own story and talking about the podcast and also just this kind of larger conversation about storytelling and and how we bring it into our lives there's been so much good stuff here so thank you once again lovely to have you
1: it's been a pleasure
0: thanks for listening to the Storytelling with Heart podcast. Want to turn your thoughts into leadership and your ideas into words that make a difference? Find me and discover more free resources at www.camiledeputter.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to my email newsletter where I share stories, free tools, and other storytelling guidance. And never forget, your story matters.